Coming up today, we discuss cricket in Europe, the USA, and Nepal, plus we wrap news around the world. But first, a shout-out to those who support us on Patreon. From as little as $2 US a month as a patron, you can access bonus content at Emerging Cricket and have a say on our show's direction. A shout-out to our latest patrons, Cobus Olivier and Josh Merriman. Thank you so much for joining the EC movement. To sign up, log on to Patreon. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash Emerging Cricket. Another cracking show this week. Let's get right into it. Hello and welcome again to the Emerging Cricket Podcast online and on Sport FM in Perth. I'm Daniel Bezigan. With me at the Emerging Cricket table, I'm joined by the rest of the pod crew. First to Tim Cutler. Tim, how are you? Oh, I didn't quite expect that. I thought you were going to ask your favourite how he was going, you know. <laughs> um, <laughs> you just gave me a dirty look. If only, if only people could, could see this. Um, I'm okay. Um, life carries on. Got to be moving, uh, well, I guess by the time people are seeing this, I'll have moved into new digs now, moving house. That's uh, got to be, there's got to be someone in the world, someone somewhere that finds moving one of the most exciting processes possible. I'm not one of them. It's not me either. I'll tell you that for free. Yeah. You know, once you're hearing this in internet land, it'll uh, it'll all be okay. So um, I'm okay. Um, it uh, The weather's definitely turned up here. The humidity's back and it started to rain up here. So, um, well, Brisbane needs it. But um, from an insurance point of view, we uh, we don't need any hail. So um, <laughs> stay away. Yeah, the whole eastern seaboard absolutely copped it. Mm. Yes, well, that would have been great for you. All the prep work that you'd done from the BBL stats to have everyone everyone ready to go and then... We got through the first game. That was a positive. I was able to kind of get any uh, early season nerves out of the way. Got the first game done. Uh, went off pretty much without a hitch. Pretty happy with, with how that all went. And then the rain came <laughs> do, down. Do you warm up beforehand? Like you're doing stretch? Are you stretching your kind of your stats pencil and stuff? <laughs> like you, you, stre- you know, when Lisa Stalaker looks over to you and says, I need uh, Sammy Joe Johnson's numbers um, opening up bowling into the northeast breeze like and you're just ready to go i had a really good stat for sammy joe johnson actually that never got used so i think i might just drop it here now she's the only player to play more than three games at north sydney oval and have a bowling economy under a runner ball that's quite big considering how small north sydney oval is but to answer your question yeah i mean i get there probably two hours before the first ball on the for the first game and I just make sure that everything's all set up. A bit like, you know, your kit bag when you rock up and you've got your own spot in the dressing room. <laughs> just have all your stuff set up. Make sure it's in the right spot. Got your pen there. Got your scoring sheet there. Yep. Got the laptop there. Got the monitor there with all the different things to, to look at. And then you just kind of just acquaint, acquaint yourself. Just ask a couple of questions, you know, get everything uh, out of the way early. And then, yeah, bam, you're in. And sometimes when things are going crazy and, and innings of T20 cricket feels like it went for about five minutes yeah, and, you'd like, and, and you're sweating... And you're all tight in the chest, but you get through it. It's all good. God, you're a nerd, aren't you? <laughs> oh, it's a big deal, you know? <laughs> oh, look, I, I just like it. It's like, it's like, oh, it's exciting. So you are working for Channel 7. You've, you've made the big move from Fox Sports over to 7. Tell us about that. Well, not necessarily. I'm still with Fox. Sort of on a loan deal? Yeah, so I'm currently, I'm currently helping out both... Uh, Fox and Seven at the moment. So on a weekend, Saturday, Sunday, it's all Seven and I do prep with Seven. And then with the IPL, I'm still doing ball-by-ball stats for the website and the app on Fox. So yeah, so still have games in the middle of the night 
um, and then adjusting from night shift to day shift has been a bit of a struggle. But in a you know in the middle of COVID, trying to uh, make as much money as I can after all that little work that we had at the start of the year. We should probably um, speak to Nick now, shouldn't we? No, no, I'm very interested in seeing you know behind the scenes. How are you, Nicholas Copernicus Cricket on Twitter? I feel like we're on a, we're on a date, and he's like just he's like one of our cousins <laughs> had to come along because he you know because he, he carries his passport and wears a bike helmet everywhere. <laughs> well, I do I do carry my Canadian passport when we go on tour, so <laughs> <laughs> just in case the Canadians need some help, and by gee, they need uh, they need quite a bit of help a lot of the time. <laughs> Everyone listening is like they they haven't got a guest again this week, have they? Nope. <laughs> 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 yes, um, I'm very well Can happily inform the podcast community That there is a wealth of cricket and cricket news to talk about From all over the world this week The wheels are starting to turn again uh, We've got Scotland and Ireland announced The women's teams playing against each other In Lamunga coming up A facility, Nick, you've pointed out Great for, for winter cricket That sort of Mediterranean climate almost all year round can host cricket and in this case international cricket and just looking forward to that particular series not for about three weeks away but just looking at it Ireland will be missing uh, several players for that with a lot of them actually playing Southern Hemisphere summer cricket in Australia particularly there's a host of players that we'll talk about in a second so a good opportunity for for some Irish talent but Nick you'd probably say that that Scotland on paper might have the edge it's a bit funny to sort of say it this way, but I think they are probably the favourites. They've got their their big guns, obviously the Bryce sisters, and Ireland are missing um, Mary Waldron, Lara Maritz, Emma Richardson, Una Raymond Hoey, and and Kim Garth, who obviously has uh, nailed her colours to the Australian masts recently, which is together a, a pretty fair chunk of their top order, as, as well as Garth being a, a very handy bowler. So, yeah, as you say, it would be an interesting test of depth, seeing how some of the younger players go. But we know... A lot of the time in, in women's cricket, they are often reliant on a few big names and when they're missing, uh, the, the whole team struggles to make up the gap. And I think looking at on the Scotland side of things, we saw how dominant they the Bryce sisters were in the Rachel Hayhoe Flint Trophy with Sarah topping or nearly topping the run charts and uh, Catherine topping the wicket tally as well uh, after the, the uh, regular rounds. Obviously... Uh, looking back to the last time these two countries played uh, national team cricket for for the women, which is, is almost a year ago at the um, the World Cup qualifiers for the T20 World Cup, which is it's it's hard to imagine you know being a, a well not a professional but a, a national team player and um, you know, not turning out for almost a year, but. Looking back at that, obviously the Bryce sisters were uh, very important for Scotland there. The top two run scorers for the Scots um, and Catherine, obviously the most wickets as well. Uh, so <laughs> it's, yeah, as I said, hard to overstate how important they are. You made a good point about Mary Waldron being a big loss behind the stumps for Ireland as well. And, and the fact that they don't have that you know top class wicketkeeper is going to you know, make it even harder to take wickets as well. So, uh, yeah, I think Scotland probably favourites. You mentioned Kim Garth, that colours have been nailed to the mast, as you, as you said. I haven't seen her name mentioned in WBBL, Bez. Any insight there? Yeah, to my knowledge, she hasn't got a team. 
she was at the Scorchers last year and I looked up and down the squad list for this year's tournament and was waiting to find her name and just never did. I'm not 100% sure if she's actually stuck in Ireland but Nick you seem to think that she lives in, in Australia basically full time now so that's really interesting and if, if anyone is privy to, to information feel free to let us know but I also know that she's not one of the replacement players that are in the WBBL hub either so it looks as if yeah this this tournament is one that, that she's missed the bus for but looking at, at Mary Waldron and, and Nick you made the point there she's also climbing the umpiring ranks in Australia as well she's not just playing but she's officiating as well so there are a lot of Irish players that come out here both on the, the men's and, and women's side of things they have done over the years there's a few clubs that have a, I think a, a, a sort of a deal with Irish players playing here which makes it difficult now with the advent of a little bit more women's international cricket and with Ireland being full members it, it's something that Ireland probably have to manage a little bit more and a little bit better in the future but thinking of Scotland and we will talk about the, the Bryce sisters because they've been so great in, in domestic cricket the Rachel Hayhoe Flint Trophy and also for Scotland but there's a couple of young Scottish players coming through. Two spinners, Catherine Fraser and Taha Maksud. Maksud's a leg spinner and Fraser is an off spinner and they're both um, highly touted. I've watched Maksud bowl a little bit and the flight that, that she has in her leg spin is very, very tricky to, to play from a batting perspective. So a good opportunity for a number of young players and, and that Lamunga to Ray, Rachel Hayhoe Flint Oval as well. We talked about the Hayhoe Flint trophy, but the, the ground's also named after Rachel Hayhoe Flint quite a custodian in, in the women's game. So we'll see plenty of action. And yeah, again, a great opportunity for some of the young Irish players to, to stake their claim for future spots. And that series played out between November 20 and November 29. No news yet in regards to streams, but we'll keep our ear to the floor here. Uh, elsewhere in Europe, we've seen the posting of the Dutch women's coach. Uh, the applications for that close on Friday the 13th of Ooh. November. I'm not sure if any of you guys are particularly superstitious. Uh, understanding of associate member cricket environment is one of the requirements, as well as a ECB level three coaching qualification or equivalent. Uh, I really wish that a lot of other associate countries put the uh, understanding of associate member cricket environment in all their job postings because it is quite a different kettle of fish. We, we might be able to get into that in a moment, but to discuss the, the Dutch setup, we know what Cambo's done at, at the Netherlands and, and they seem to be in a really good spot on the men's side, but to look at the, the women's equivalent for the Netherlands, they're, they're lagging a little bit behind in the women's associate game. They've got a number of fantastic players. We all know about Stedekalis. And uh, Babette Delater is another young player coming through there. But Nick, we, we have talked to, to people involved in Dutch cricket and they've I think they've lamented that Dutch women's cricket hasn't quite come along as, as far as the men's side of things. I don't know if you've got anyone in mind for this particular role, but what do you think they need to do to, to get the Netherlands to, to the next level? Because you look at, say, Scotland and Ireland, it's a pretty tough group and a pretty tough region now for, for them to crack in terms of World Cup qualifying and things like that. Yeah, I think they're probably going to struggle to to make it out of regional qualifiers with the the playing group they've got. So I think one of the big things that any you know any coach would need to do is you know increase competition for spots in in that national team. You know, it's a good sign that the uh, the prospective coach is also going to be taking on responsibility for the uh, the under 19s and the lionesses, which is the sort of uh, women and girls young talent identification program that they have, um, and. 
Uh, looking at Rod Lyle's article on this news, uh, he makes the point that you know back in the 80s, the Netherlands had, I think it was about 20 or 25 women's clubs playing club cricket regularly, uh, and, and now it's down to eight. So, you know, that decline is huge, and just having such a small playing base is always going to you know, put you on the back foot when you, you look at somewhere like um, Scotland, who's been putting so much effort into the women's development, and, and Ireland, obviously, they're struggling a bit at the moment, but, you know, they're, they're full members, and, and they do have the resources to push that development. So, I think the first priority really needs to be expanding that player pool, and, and whether that's by encouraging the clubs to have more women players, or to look at maybe recruiting players from other sports, which has worked for, for a number of other associate uh, women's teams. Whatever it is, they just need to get more athletes playing cricket for the Netherlands. It, it, it's funny, Nick, that you bring that up, that last point in, in terms of general athletes, particularly even from other sports potentially. We've spoken to, to people involved in North American um, cricket or cover a lot of North American cricket, and, and Peter Delapen has made the point numerous times that if they were to convert uh, a number of athletes from other sports in the USA, like an, an Erica Renler, who, who's done just that, their team would be much better for it. And we are starting to see a number of young American women's cricketers coming through in, in their sort of mid to late teens. But outside of that, there's not a whole lot of depth. So from a women's side of, uh, side of things in, in a lot of these countries, it has been quite difficult. And I think the requirement, and, and we alluded to it before, having that understanding of the of the associate cricket environment it's just a completely new train of thought to say you look at the country that we're in right now in, in australia and, and looking at how cricketers now develop on the women's side of things you have to basically start playing from from ages eight and up just to get a look in now there aren't too many players anymore that that are starting late and 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 finishing in in elite teams but it looks as if you know a number of these associate teams are a bit behind, but I mean the the inspiration that everyone can take on is is Thailand and, and the project that they ran there, and and I know Tim, you've you've seen them as as much as we have, and they've had such a successful 2020 when a lot of other people you know haven't had any cricket at all in 2020. So there are projects that have worked. It's just a case of of getting everyone together and 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 finding the right people. Absolutely, and I think the challenge that comes to mind though as you're talking about Thailand that example or the Netherlands is that where we've seen successful programs it's where they've really been able to corral that national team and work with them extensively and all together all the time but as we know from talking to to Cambo and and Rod's experience and Bertus when he's when he's been on the show is how club aligned cricket in the Netherlands is and how are they going to grow women's cricket because if they're going to grow in the clubs there are a lot of clubs with not many teams between them and a lot of historic clubs that haven't necessarily had a a connection with with women's cricket so where are they going to be playing you know they gonna be playing in leagues or are they going to come together or is it going to be a real top-down project and i think that'll be the challenge for the, the new coach coming in as to what approach they take because you've got now i wouldn't say it's a symbiotic situation with the clubs and the and the national team programs by any stretch. You know, there's still that clash there in the Netherlands, maybe more than in any other cricketing nation, full members included, where the clubs don't necessarily take precedence, but are prepared to be wanting their players to be playing for the clubs rather than the country. But I guess that the opportunity here for Dutch women's cricket is to, to really change the conversation there and make it a, a sort of a, a Dutch first team and the clubs that want to be part of that. So that's that's going to be 
exciting to see you know if they're they're able to work together all the time and, and get and build those skills up quickly and, and like we've seen with the, with thailand being able to convert softballers across famous story and, and it's a great example for others to to take but uh, how they integrate that into the dutch cricketing system because you want it to become part of dutch cricket but i guess in some sense you don't want it to be like dutch cricket has always been because we'd be saying let's replicate what's made it a a mainstream sport which you know unfortunately despite how successful the netherlands are in global cricket especially associate cricket but uh you know they've done pretty well in t20 world cups as well it hasn't got broken in the mainstream so i guess here's that chance from a women's cricket point of view well we did bring up the usa and there's been some news from that part of the world where they've recruited two youth coaches for both the men's and women's side of things. Uh, Kevin Darlington, who was already involved in the men's senior team, will take on coaching the USA men's under-19 team. And then Asif Mushtaba has been appointed as the women's youth coach. This has been the start of, well, one of the the new early movements in Project 2030. Uh, Looking at that timeline, um, a lot of these players that will be taken under, under the wings here under Mushtaba and Darlington will, will be around the USA national team come that time. So it's very much a look to the future and a look to their ambitious plans that we did talk about last week. From a budgetary standpoint, Tim, how do you see this playing out? Because if, if they're putting a lot of money into the, to the youth here, we know that they're one of few countries from a senior point of view to have central contract systems, but they also had to restrict them a little bit in the wake of COVID. How are they affording all of this? Well, there's money coming from ACE, as we know, and that money has been earmarked for elite player development. Hoping it's trickled down as far as youth teams, as we're seeing here, because looking at the accounts that came out last week, USA Cricket only spent 14000 US dollars in an entire year on development. And that's with a budget uh, with seven figures, starting with a four, um, and seeing with the amount of money coming, i.e. over $2 million, USA being, as far as I'm aware, the, the highest funded associate, bar perhaps the Netherlands, who would be getting the money from Cricket World Cup Super League, which is pretty amazing considering where the USA came from, suspension, and we know that they've had special investment into them. But... For the conversation last week about how they're going to get there and the fear of them turning into a a franchise tournament and event rather than a national governing body, I just hope that there's some realignment with investment. It's good to see Richard Doan's name announcing these appointments as well on the the press release. Former high performance manager at the ICC there for, I think it was 11 years behind the scenes working with a lot of associates, especially in the high performance programs behind the likes of Afghanistan and, and Ireland but uh, look I know from a Hong Kong point of view he was basically you know I almost just saw him as, as part of the team so you know with the experience he's got around the world working with all the high performing associates for the last decade uh, you like to think that he'll be able to translate that into a program that'll work in the USA and also trickle down and hopefully be drawing the best talent from around the country but yeah like we said look they've got to be spending the money to 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 get those structures tied together we know there's a lot of private academies there's a lot of cricket already going out there so it's not like they need to be employing development officers out there but um, there definitely needs to be some investment in the way that all comes together but um, to hear you pronounce his name you just shows just how old I am yeah to me Asif Mutabar is the guy who uh, hit Steve War for six at Bell Reeve in the 92 93 World Series 
cricket uh, match to, to tie off the last game. Um, which he didn't, didn't know he played for Pakistan as much as he did until I saw the, the press release, but that's what I remember. One of Steve Waugh's sort of trademark slower balls, last ball of the game, trying to trick him. You know, waist-high full toss, that'll, that'll trick him. <laughs> and then um, I think it uh, into the gates um, that day. But, um, yeah, great little piece there from, from Nate Hayes near uh, North Carolina, USA correspondent for EC talking to two different board members about those those announcements. So it's good to look a little bit insight there, and it's also good to see guys that are a part of the system and have been there for a number of years as well, rather than just bringing in overseas talent. I know people will be saying, "Oh, we want Americans, we want America," but you know, these are coaches that have been there and, and understand the system, and uh, that's a good start. Yeah, good. Um, nice to bring up Richard Doan, who's obviously one of the favourites uh, of the podcast for his tireless work with Associate Cricket and you know, an, an acolyte of Bob Woolmer, really, um, in, in terms of when he uh, entered the ICC and, and a lot of the work he was doing. Um, yeah, I think you're right about the, the fact that these guys... Um, are, are locals and that they have a good local knowledge. Obviously, yeah, Julia Price as uh, the the head coach for the women's team, um, she's she's very much on a sort of fly in fly out basis. Whereas having Mujtaba there as a, a an assistant coach for the women's senior team, as well as the um, the head coach for the the youth program, I think will be very helpful for Price in terms of having a bit more local knowledge. You know, obviously Mujtaba has been there for I think it's about ten years, um, living in Texas and and done. Wellington, similar amount of time or more, actually. I think he played for the USA in one of the qualifiers about 10 years ago. Obviously, he's been there for a while as well. Um, so so the fact that they know what they're talking about and, and that they've been around the system is is invaluable and goes back to that point we were making a bit earlier about the Netherlands women's coach. You know, understanding of associate member cricket environment is so important. And you know, it is tempting, I guess, to, to get a big name in to, to coach and, oh, look, we've got this person who played 100 games for Pakistan and, and isn't that great but you know the fact that Mujtaba he's basically he's a local you know he, he he's involved in the local cricket scene and he's yeah it's the the Nadia Gruni quote that Nate had where you know she's been working with him for a decade in in cricket in America and that's way more important I think than than having a big name or someone who played test cricket or that's even goes back to our, our conversation with Johnsy Rhodes when he was talking about how you know, he can come in as a, a famous cricketer from a full member nation and, and fire people up with his with his fame, basically. But if you don't have that, you know, local backup, it, it doesn't necessarily amount to much. So, yeah, I think I think this is a good appointment. And um, seeing the 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 $14,000 spent on development in, in last year, that's basically, it's just not good enough. And especially on the women's side of things where the numbers... I think it's around 200 registered players, which, you know, when you, you look at the amount of uh, men playing cricket in America, which, I mean, estimates vary, but it's it's definitely in the thousands, probably in the tens of thousands. It's it's just completely, um, it boggles the mind, really, that they have so few women playing the game. And, you know, we, you, you mentioned Erica Rendler there as a success story in converting athletes, Bez. Um, sort of makes me think, just back to the, the Netherlands situation, hockey, uh, was Erica Rendler's sport, and hockey is obviously very big in the Netherlands, and the, the Netherlands women's teams, you know, one of the more dominant uh, sporting dynasties in 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 the world, really. So perhaps they could look there for some talent. Just, I'm just thinking, you know, we we've talked about the Netherlands and and looking for a coach with associate experience. We've talked about the USA and and people already involved in USA cricket there being given different roles. 
a role that has gone a little bit quiet, uh, at least in the in the recruitment phase, has been the Nepal men's national team coach. It, it's something that I just can't quite get my head around. The idea that that coach needs to be involved, well, once before involved in a in a high end full member as one of their prerequisites for that job. And I'm thinking, just looking at some of the the coaches who have who have dominated or done really well in these in these situations have already had this understanding of associate cricket and now all of a sudden they want just a special person to come straight from full member cricket and bring all the experience for full member cricket into an associate cricket location um, and, and area of expertise. It doesn't really make any sense because I, I think there are things that aren't applicable to the associate game in comparison to the full member game. But you look at the coaches who have succeeded at the associate level and a number of them already had experience at associate level to look at say Pabuda Dasanayaka who okay yes he's Sri Lankan but he's had a lot of success in associate cricket even before he took on the role in Nepal he was brought in because of that associate experience I'm not sure why they're not looking for that yet again Dasanayaka could even be available to take on that role once more if he wanted to do it I'm just a little bit worried that that I think a number of associate countries out there actually are looking for things that they don't necessarily need and would probably save a bit of money as well if they were to recruit someone who has experience in the associate game and not necessarily look for that golden arm full member identity to take them forward. And and Tim, we looked at the recruitment policy for a number of the other roles in, in Nepal and a lot of them were exclusive to Nepali nationals. Now, if they're going to try and move the Cricket Association of Nepal into a new phase of development and experience, I feel like they need to bring in someone from outside of Nepal because you look at a number of administrators and, oh, fancy that, we've actually got one here on the podcast here talking about it, but you would think that that's the the experience you need, someone from a field, someone from afar, rather than these people just being involved in Nepali cricket only, I feel like it's stagnating. It's only going to reach a certain point there before people realise that the progress isn't being made because people don't have that experience of being in a in a board that's been involved, that runs properly and successfully and has progressed over the last 5, 10, 15, 20 years. Well, first off, geez, it's just all public service announcements on uh, these podcasts. First, us declaring our support of a certain chair candidate but um i have to de- declare an interest in that you know i was actually really excited with the nepal which ended up being a gm position um which was a ceo but they recast as a gm i've, I've thrown my hat in the ring so i thought of it's got to be one of the most exciting jobs out there in in world cricket you know full member cricket included with the potential there and the the fan following and i know there's two sides to that coin but then when i saw the ad saying you know nepalese passport basically only um was really well surprising because as you said i think you know you should be casting the net as wide as you can rather than saying perhaps you know i'll counter you it's not a matter of needing to look for someone from outside you know similar to the netherlands putting up their their job to replace the ceo saying needs to be someone who speaks dutch and you know there's an element to that yep you've got to be conversing and with the government and 
public and, and whatnot, you just think, well, wouldn't you want to cast the net as wide as possible first and then pull it back in when you look at all the, the pros and cons of what every, everyone's got? But to the point about coaching, it's a, it's the same thing. You know, I, I just, it really does smell like, you know, it's by committee. And I know they've reduced the board num- numbers of board members from the 30s down into, the, I think it's the high teens or the early 20s. But it, it was one of the Again, huge. Imagine trying to make a decision that board. And, and what's going to get through? It's something that ticks all those boxes and, you know, has a degree, Nepalese, et cetera, et cetera. And, and that's the problem that, you know, well, there's lots of problems holding Nepal cricket back before um, suspension. But I just hope they're not crippled by similar decisions. Like that. I'm not saying they're being crippled by this. There's a, they've got their own issues. You know, they had their own... <laughs> Trump-esque um, error there in having a meeting in the middle of COVID and everybody being in the same room and shaking hands and then everybody getting sick, which doesn't bode well when you're trying to make these decisions. And I know that the country's really struggling anyway there with with the outbreak. But yeah, you just hope that associates look you know, at, at the mistakes being made, the, the perspective of associate cricket and think, no, we're not going to be myopic. We're going we're gonna to be broader. We're going to be bold and make some some brave decision or, or at least as we said you know look at all the possible options so yeah look at it from a coaching point of view just you know to think that somehow full member experience will will be able to translate you may get a, a lucky with a coach that has the right mix of skills but like we've talked about a lot in the past a lot of the stuff you might have to be doing as a as a coach of a of an associate nation you know you're going to be pulling you know into your bag of tricks dealing with um, basic skill programs or or having to double up in all other roles to 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 cover because that's associate cricket you're not going to come in at a very focused top of a pyramid you're probably going to have to be establishing that pyramid and a high performance program and even more so in nepal and i know they have gone to hire i think it was what 15 jobs everyone from some coaching staff to to back office so maybe they're all gonna all gonna fill in and then you'll have some looking after high performance programs but um yeah, I don't know, Bez. Who would you who would you go for? Give me your top three if you could uh, go after any coaches in the world to to coach the the poor men's team. Well, I think they had a lot of success under Pabuda Dasanaika, so I think he he's probably top of mind. And looking around, you know, when I when I think about it, Tim, as you say, you do have to cast a wide net. And, and looking at at who would be available randomly. Andy Bickle was rumoured at the start of the year, or someone thought that they recognised Andy Bickle in in Nepal. He's coached PNG, so I mean, it's not the biggest. Uh, it's not the biggest known fact that is either that he has that experience. Yeah, yeah. Th- there's a few around, uh, and I'm just trying to trying to think, and I'm kind of blanking because you put me on the spot here. But uh, I'm just trying to think. I know Dub Watmore is randomly coaching Singapore if they wanted to poach a uh, a, a rival. Singapore did. You know, quite well against Nepal in 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 the recent past. So and Zimbabwe, yeah. Well, I think he's finishing up. Actually, that's not the worst option. I think he's uh... and he's played full member cricket for for a country as well. So I mean, he 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 fits the bill. Uh... Well, and he won a World Cup coaching a team as well, didn't he? Uh, I believe nineteen ninety six. Yeah, no, yeah, he was coach of he was coach of Sri Lanka in nineteen ninety six. So there, there's there's three. Uh... I'll tell you what, I've put you on the spot, and. Uh, um, and Pubidu was like the obvious one, and who who knows, you know, because he bit of a hero. I don't know what would you call him the ho- the uh, associate whisperer. He really is. <laughs> he wins everywhere he goes, and he's got a great record. I think what more was a good um, off the top of the head, yeah, grab there. I'd totally forgotten he was in Singapore, but 
He's, you I mean, you'd, you'd think he'd get picked up somewhere else. He's a brilliant coach with a fantastic resume. So it's, it's kind of strange that he's um, down, down at Singapore, but who knows what's going on there. Yeah, it's not the worst place to be, I guess, in a time like this either. But uh, no, they did, uh, they've done okay in the recent past Singapore and under him. But again, it's how much do you need someone that's going to be there to establish a program from, from day dot or someone who can come in on the back of one? So. I don't know. Look, we, we talk about it so often about the potential in Nepal, but you know, potential actually needs to be converted. And similar to the USA, with so many people playing cricket everywhere, I guess the difference in Nepal is that you could probably, you know, pretty safe bet that every kid playing in the street wants to play for Nepal. Um, and there's a sort of a different feel about community cricket there. But yeah, well, you did well there, Bez. You know, we, we hadn't... I got a couple more if you want. Well, I was going to say you did quite well to, 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 to turn the conversation around in a pool. So now you might as well keep going. Some more coaches there because I'm... I'm... Could, you could go and look at some of the assistant coaches around the place. I mean, Namibia has been great and Albie Morkel was in the setup there with Pierre. With Pierre. Uh, H.T. Ackerman, you don't know what, what he's doing at the moment, you know, in the, in the throes of... of COVID, I think I was... Is he still Afghanistan or does he... Yeah, I did... He was batting coach. I haven't seen anything that would say he, he wasn't. But another Afghan uh, coach that there has been, um, Andy Moles as well, I think, is he back involved in Afghanistan again? No, I think they. I think after he had um, his, his, his leg... You know, an amazing story there about going through having his leg amputated. I think they may have let him go. I think they... For whatever reason, it didn't work. After, not because of, I hope, but after he had that the operation, and whether it was because it was anything to do with, because I think he was actually living in in Afghanistan. So and he's coached, you know, he's coached Hong Kong. He's coached a few different places as well in in the past. Um, he's coached Afghanistan before. He was there during the 2015 World Cup qualifiers and and, and World Cup. So a good one. I think you've. Uh, the, the rabbit hat, you know, you should be on an, an associate cricket podcast. Yes, I reckon. There's some, you know, sort of, you know, I think the likes of a Steve Tickelo or someone like mm, that with the yeah. experience they have or, or whether, you know. He recently moved to Tanzania from Uganda. So, yeah, I mean, they've they got a really good pickup there. I, I think the experience that he brings, he's got that giant killer uh, achievement in his resume as well. So there are a number of guys out there. It's just a case of, of finding them. And it's a case of timing as well. You know, when, when guys are available, um, what their situation is now in, in 2020, what other ventures are they doing? Because there's a chance too that you could do a lot of this stuff remotely. And then when it comes to um, training a little bit more on a full-time basis, like Nepal can do a little bit more now with ODI status and central contracts, it is a little bit different. But if they were to tour, you could just do what a number of coaches have done and, and, and do a lot of stuff remotely because a lot of the, the coaching at that level isn't necessarily technical. It's more to do with the idea of game management and, and, and having a mind for the game rather than, than a lot of the technical aspects, I think, at least at the, on the high end of the of the, full mem- uh, of the associate member game. Oh, yeah, and there's also a huge admin strain as well because you're not necessarily dealing with cricketers that have come through professional systems and are used to what's expected and now worse than ever but you know even prior to the coronavirus when you've got associate team members potentially all around the world or to disparate places keeping them all up to standard with training you know we heard Anchi talk about that in Hong Kong and the problems that they saw about drop-off in training standards and this is again pre-COVID, so you know it just goes again. You know you need 
someone who's a, a motivator of, of, of players as well that, that, that has them at the right level. And especially with a lot of associate nations, with the, the cultural melting pot that a lot of these teams are of making sure that you're tuning your approach you know what? What worked for country A may not work for country B. Even even though the, you know, population may look similar from country to country, the, the cricketing community may be completely different as well. So all these different considerations. So which again say that you know just because you coach at a full member doesn't mean you're necessarily fit. However, you may have experience in a full member nation that actually reflects the cricketing community as well. So that's something to, to bear in mind as well. Yeah, just on that point, and sort of thinking about uh, Pabudu, who we've um, we've we've sung the praises of already. But um, when when he was coaching America, the number one thing that he talked about was man management, more so than you know necessarily tactics or technical stuff. Just um, gelling together that team, as you said, of, of you know disparate backgrounds and and um, you know coming from a a bunch of different perspectives on on cricket and molding them into a coherent unit and. Uh, you know, we saw after he left that um, you know when they dropped out of the sub regionals, uh, Peter Delapena had some uh, some things to say about their lack of uh, cohesiveness as a team, and I think it really showed that they didn't have that um, you know that that gelling effect that uh, Pabudu so clearly uh, was able to instill. So I think that's that's another important aspect, uh, especially at associate level where you're often trying to squeeze the best out of a you know sometimes limited uh, set of talent. Some more admin news and looking to Switzerland who intend on reapplying to join the ICC as an associate member that was suspended eight years ago. Uh, We heard a few murmurs about how all of that came to being, but now looking ahead, uh, it looks as if things are in order. Uh, Contact with the ICC at this stage hasn't started just yet, but hearing from from several people there that all the ducks are lined up in a row as Nick aptly puts and and looking to you Nick it's a great opportunity um they've had some other achievements in in recent years trying to to get Swiss cricket up and running we've seen a number of um of cricket tournaments both on grass and on ice in Switzerland run uh the European cricket series has run there it looks a picturesque place to, to play the game Hopefully, we'll we'll have them added into the uh, associate member brotherhood very soon. Yeah, this is this is a good one um, to see them coming back to the fold after some drama with a a rival uh, governing body, which which was set up. Um, yeah, as you say, they got kicked out about eight years ago, um, and and some some uh, very bitter uh, disputes going on there. And you know, it's it's unfortunate, but it does seem to happen a lot in associate cricket where. Even though the, the cricket scene's so small, a lot of the time people just can't quite get along and, and work together, which is, is a shame. But yeah, good to see them um, getting, you know, they're get, getting their paperwork assembled at the moment. And um, you know, a couple of years ago, they were admitted to the Swiss Olympic Association, which is basically the, the country's peak, uh, peak sporting body. So clearly they're, they're making some strides in their home country. And obviously they've been uh, doing a bunch of uh, European Cricket League uh, cricket, yeah, there with the the T10 stuff, and um, yeah, they've got some domestic leagues going on, and obviously the <laughs> the cricket on ice project uh, with uh, at uh, St Moritz, I think, uh, which is, is quite fun. So yeah, I, I'm I'm excited to see where Switzerland goes once they um you know get into the European system with the I don't know where, where do you where do you see them going if they get to a, a sub regional perhaps by uh, 2021 or 2022? It's an interesting question, you know. The bat, you go, well, you know, small 
expat based, you know, you know, not many clubs, but then, you know, they're almost pushing 30 clubs there. And, you know, it's tough to get the, the true story of what happened, but it sounded like there was a, a rival body that started up and that's what spelt, well, at least it was the beginning of the beginning of the end. But there's a lot of good teams in, in Europe now. You know, we, we only saw the the qualifier go down to the, the last ball with Germany just missing out and, Jer- and Jersey going through. A lot of great work happening in Guernsey. Um, Sweden, some South African guy just just moved there, <laughs> but again, like well, the, the we, this is going to be the decade now that we're coming towards the end of this decade because it hasn't finished yet. Next decade, we're going to see uh, the the rise of German cricket just strengthen in numbers, and yeah, so there's going to be a behemoth that they're coming up. You know, I think an, another club was was announced as as we mentioned, focused on on women and girls cricket only, which is perfect because Germany needs to tie that all together as well so yeah I don't know maybe mid-group in one of those sort of three groups that we saw out of the sort of the top 12 in in Europe but it's always a tough one as well because you know with your Ireland um, who are there or thereabouts not necessarily automatically qualifying for things Scotland I'm talking men's cricket here Scotland Netherlands in no particular order um, and then a bit of a bank behind them of, of Jersey Germany Denmark, you know, Guernsey take matches off of Jersey as well, and they're only a, a you know, small island with not a lot of players there. So it's it's great for European cricket, but yeah, I, I don't think getting back into this to make necessarily make World Cups is to be back part of the global community. But um, Jesus, amazing grounds there. I think the photo that's on our profile of looking back back towards the mountains. You're not you're not going to um, not going to be short a, a selfie or an Instagram there, are you? It's mm, true, and and just remembering it at the European qualify for the last t well the t20 world cup that hasn't happened yet uh i think every team won at least one game and there were 18 teams in that competition and you look at the, the hotspot areas of of growth in the emerging game europe's definitely one of two big regions in my opinion that are going to see huge growth over the next 10 years i think that that sort of southeast asia area between the likes of malaysia singapore consistently battling it you know against each other and other parts of of cricket there well and truly building and even looking to, to places like the Maldives and, and and places like that but I think Europe it has to be if it's not the biggest I know we hate the term fastest growing but <laughs> no no Bertus hates that term we say just to, just to be fair <laughs> and I completely understand where he's coming from but when you look at Europe and you look at the the talent and and just the the, the way that a lot of these countries in, in terms of their population now um, consist of people from all sorts of demographics and a lot of them just happen to be from from cricket playing countries bringing the game over there. Um, we've just seen, uh, you know, 14-year-old for Romania debuting for his country. Um, we're seeing records tumble in the region um, and, and the game and, and the knowledge of people involved in the game being imparted on people throughout all of these respective countries. So, and and that and you've got the advent of streaming and and the European Cricket League all tying it in together. So to be honest, I'm looking at Europe and and there is so much competition there. And Switzerland are going to have their work cut out for them. You know there are countries lining up at the moment to to take on some of the best in that region and some of the best associate teams in the world already are in that region. So it's going to be very difficult. But the the standard of the game there, I think, is just going to rise by a lot. In the next, even in the next five years, let alone ten or twenty. Oh, and uh, let's not forget either that Jersey beat Oman in the World Cup qualifier. 
you know, Jersey being the, the, the join between all the regions of, of meaning that teams can actually be compared because there are so few teams that play outside their regions. But, uh, you know, really, you know, if Germany had been smarter the way that they played their, their second last game, they should have gone through in, instead um, and, you know, and beat Jersey in, the, in that last game. It just makes you think... The likes of Oman have, have taken full member scalps and beating Ireland and have pushed other ones close. That you think, well, you know, what a great opportunity here to grow that T20 World Cup into four groups of six or you know four groups of five, because there's so many competitive teams out there, um, and especially as these regions, which is a tough one as well, because similar to you know we talk about the FIFA World Cup and of how many teams go through from which regions and how do you it's a tough job to, to work out who should go through from which regions in full age cricket. You know, the same way that we look at the under-19s as being an example of, you know, when you take a team from each each region guaranteed, you get to see the likes of Nigeria and Japan that you may not have got to see a, a, through a global qualifier. So it just makes you, make you think even more with these teams emerging, not maybe not necessarily Switzerland now, but just thinking of the Jersey example and, and Germany coming of, you know, what great opportunity there is to expand the World Cup, especially in T20 cricket, to give these teams a chance. Some other news that's happening in the world of emerging cricket this week. 50 over cricket returns to Fiji for the first time in over 10 years with the knockout stages of the Associations Cup set to feature the longer format. Group stage matches will still comprise of T20 matches. Kowloon Cricket Club and Pakistan Association of Hong Kong have claimed victory on the second weekend of the Hong Kong Premier League T20. Izaz Khan took one for 26 and made an unbeaten 81 for Kowloon, while Baba Hyatt top scored in Pakistan Association of Hong Kong's five-wicket victory over United Services Recreation Club. And finally, tributes have flowed in Malaysia following the passing of long-serving player and administrator Dato Dr. Harjit Singh this week. Dr. Harjit led cricket in the state of Johor from 1987 and was recognised numerous times for his tireless work in the region, awarded the prestigious Anagera Kas accolade by King Tawanku Jaafa in 1998. Dr. Harjit also held the deputy president post of the Malaysian Cricket Association from 1990 to 2003. That's everything in the Emerging Game this week. Make sure to subscribe to the Emerging Cricket Podcast if you haven't done so already so you can tune in as soon as it drops every week. Pass the pot around and make sure to give us a five-star review. If you want to support us financially, go to Patreon. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash Emerging Cricket where you can support us from as little as $2 US a month. For now, on behalf of Nick Skinner, Tim Cutler and myself, Daniel Beswick, see you next week.